This is Rise of the Flying Guillotine. Bargle, bargle. Hello, motherfuckers. This is Neil Sarver, and you are listening to Rise of the Flying Guillotine. I am one more of thousands, tens of thousands of people who are home and think I am going to do a podcast. Most people will listen to their podcasts, but that's cool. This will be something to occupy some of my time and energy. I don't know what this podcast will be. The texture. I like the idea of just doing it and finding it. I did that before with blogging, and I enjoyed that process. Although, I don't know that I was ever comfortable feeling like I thought my blog was a thing. Or was a thing... I'm not sure I ever felt that my blog ever became a thing that was what I wanted from it. Too often... Too often I convinced myself that what I should be doing is something professional. Uh, I think that was usually when I listened to other people tell me what would be a good plan not necessarily always the same people, nor were the same people always telling me exactly the same thing, but it just sort of converged in a specific way. I should be writing reviews of movies and music and things that I know about. I was always the least happy with that. It always felt like I was doing a high school essay. Introduction. Possibly, in some cases, if I were feeling particularly sharp, I would use my sort of knowledge of how newspapers work and come up with a snappy opening, you know, and feel particularly pleased with that. As it goes, I got any number of comments, uh, quite, you know, a fair number of them positive. Don't recall that anyone ever, ever said, oh, that clever snappy opening, that was sharp. <laughs> uh, frankly... Frankly, I don't think that the reviews were never the part that excited me, and they probably were not the part that excited uh, my readers. Certainly, they weren't the part that I got the most feedback on. I'm not sure feedback is the best method to recognize if you're being successful at what it is you're trying to do on something like a blog or a podcast or something that you might be doing something more personal or unique rather than, say, doing newspaper articles. And I guess that was where I always felt. I feel like, in general, the thing that was potentially good and could be so good about blogs and that can be and uh, good about podcasts as well, at their best, is not being cheap, easy, personal feature writing for a magazine or newspaper or radio pieces, but rather the when, when they're a more unique 
statement of people. So I am a person, as you might be guessing, and this will be me exploring myself as a person for whatever that's worth to anyone who is not me. I am a father. I have a daughter, Peggy. I have a spouse, Ray. Uh, we are living in Seattle. Right now, Ray is working. I had been working until shortly before this virus situation, which if you're listening from the future, uh, is the COVID-19 situation. You can Google that up, perhaps, if you're like the rest of us had to do, maybe about, you know, the Spanish flu and beginning of the 20th century. So, because this is going to be massively archived. Anyway, so I left that job thinking that I was going to get a part-time job shortly afterward. And that turned out to not be very practical with the way things went. It turned out to be good in many other ways. Like, I am home for Peggy, and that is great, and my attention can be given to her as needed, as opposed to if I were working from home or something like that. Our short-term situation is really quite good, and we are very thankful. We are concerned as everyone is about how the what the future holds and that will certainly be the type of thing that I will be looking at to talk about on future installments of this but for now I am thinking that today's episode is about hair and I'm gonna be fairly expansive okay not like I'm gonna do a four-hour episode about hair but I <laughs> you're welcome but I am going to touch on a couple of things related to that. One is actual hair. I know. It's an amazing concept. I hate haircuts. I am not sure why. Now, this is probably important, and it will come up again. I am most likely an undiagnosed autistic. Peggy is autistic. I believe that Ray is also an undiagnosed autistic. We sometimes debate around about that. Uh, and, of course, it's controversial amongst autism advocates regarding the issue of, of how much a person should claim if they are have not been officially diagnosed. I am not sure to what extent I feel comfortable even speaking to that debate. But in this case, that probably being at or near the spectrum most likely affects my hatred of haircuts. Uh, sensory issue, whatever. It just... People being that near for that duration is uncomfortable. I don't care for them. Most of my life, I have simply grown my hair long. This has been a largely acceptable way of dealing with that. When I get tired of it, I generally shave it all off. This avoids haircuts altogether, although I've never actually gotten good at shaving it all off. 
So that usually winds up being like an all-night project with clippers. And because I often don't maintain keeping clippers, sometimes it requires going and getting new clippers. So I have maintained one of those two states or within the flux between them for all of my adult life. Until recently, I discovered that I have a bald spot growing in the back that I was unprepared for. Uh, I was prepared for the continuing recession of my hair back, but I wasn't prepared for the bald spot to grow. And as a result, I was planning to perhaps maintain shorter hair as agreeing to the societal norm in response to that. I haven't actually succeeded at getting a haircut since I got the first one that I got in response to that several months ago. In part because of the quarantine situation. Although, while I'm not that thrilled with the longer hair and the shag in the back, I haven't quite gotten to the point where I want to go out in public and crap my pants or self-immolate because I'm so freaked out about living with a ha without a haircut. Unlike apparently a portion of the population. Who the fuck knew that? Anywho, the subject of haircut regularity came up at my previous job. I'm not sure how it was one of those conversations at that point. I still believed I was going to come across like a normal person within that realm. Maybe I have a bit of a quirk toward liking haircuts less and said, hey, I don't like haircuts. Uh, so I get them as seldom as possible. And the person I was with said, oh yeah, I know how you feel. I haven't gotten one in like three months. And to me, I was like, I don't think I've actually gotten two haircuts within three months of one another in my life it's possible when I was a kid my parents ever sent me to two haircuts within that time frame but I'm skeptical those are the things that I find in life that I have often things where I will be saying oh yeah I don't understand this thing and people will go oh yeah and they'll say something else trying to relate to empathize, to bring us together, and it will feel at least as, that they're as close to the other side of that as they are to mine, if not even closer, which always leaves me feeling awkward, which is my life. To keep going on the subject of hair, hair <laughs> is a musical. I love hair. I don't know how other people are with things like this, but I have a small handful of things that I can't remember not knowing and liking. Hair the Musical is one of them. Planet of the Apes is another. That's almost certainly going to come up again. But in the case of hair, it was an album I listened to a lot. I don't listen to it right now, uh, although I was an autistic kid. Uh, it was before that was certainly something that anyone would have diagnosed in a kid like me. Although certainly the trying to get me into schools that were appropriate and for my temperament 
was something that was an ongoing struggle through my entire childhood, which will be a subject that I'll be coming back to, especially in regard to what we're doing right now and going forward with Peggy. Peggy has a lot more tendency to repeat things and to not know when to and when not to repeat things. So we have a tendency to consume a lot less media that could accidentally be repeated than perhaps other people who have a child as old as we do have. That's part of where she is on the spectrum, and that's fine. But I will acknowledge that there are a number of things in the musical hair that I'm, I'm, I'd rather keep her from, from repeating without thinking or without knowing what the issue, what the potential issue was to someone who might hear you say it and didn't know the context. But I grew up with it, and I listened to it all the time as a kid, over and over and over. The, the, the record, and then as soon as it came out on CD in the late 80s, and that was exciting because it had new songs that I didn't know on it. I had seen the movie at that time when I was a kid. The film version from the late 70s by Milos Forman. I liked it at that time. I didn't have a good concept. I could tell... I didn't have a good concept of the story of the musical beyond what you can suss out, but there was enough difference that was obvious that it felt amiss to me. But there were other things that were right that I liked and enjoyed, uh, like the casting. It, you know, I liked the naughtiness of it, the anarchic nature of sort of the dance numbers. I got life number has to be something like that has a lot of life and the actors are all very likable and where the story comes together I'm not going to reveal there is a sort of surprise a twist if you will to the movie story that isn't in the play that I think largely works and I think largely helps to keep it together as a story in sort of a three-act movie sense that the play is much more of a hodgepodge of events that happen in and around a lot of songs that are exploring ideas to do with what was happening in the world in the late 60s. In that, you can listen to the music and you can find all of that, and it really is exploring it in a whole bunch of interesting ways, and I really highly recommend just sitting down and giving the album a serious listen it's it's both entertaining and fun but also interesting to see how somebody who you know these people who were trying to find ways to explore the ups and downs pros and cons of this movement and the world and how they were able to use their art in order to express that here is a side note i'm going to first note that abby hoffman is one of my heroes but there's a story in one of his 80s books in which he describes going to a protest with people of my generation. I'm guessing a few years older than me. And he said, let's sing some protest songs. And all they knew were songs from Hair, which he condescendingly dismisses. 
I suspect that this story is apocryphal, having grown up with the young people of Generation X at the time. My knowing hair was rather weird. Occasionally you'd have somebody whose interests intersected in some way that were theater nerds or whatever else that would know it, but it wasn't a universally known thing. I went to a production in Seattle with my girlfriend at the time, and she was very excited about the idea of seeing it and enjoyed it, but she was not as familiar and she was in choir and whatnot, and was interested in 60s kind of stuff. There was a trend towards it, but she also had u- interest unique to herself in it. Uh, but it was not something she was ter- terribly specifically familiar with in anywhere near the same sense that, say, I was having listened to the album infinite times, uh, including having recently purchased it and uh, the CD and listening to that over and over and her having perhaps only limited patience with humoring me. But beyond the implausibility of a bunch of 80s kids knowing hair that well, I'm not even sure what songs you would throw out. There are songs of a anti-war nature, but they aren't the kind of songs that you would just belt out on the bus. But in this case, I'm not sure. It feels like that's one of those things that if it is true, that saying, hey, let's sing some protest songs might be a little bit of a dick move anyway, like getting onto a boat and saying, let's sing some sea shanties. Like maybe people on the boat would know some sea shanties, but trying to come up with which ones it is would be fun in that second might be tougher than it sounds. Like, right now, I'm sitting here as someone well acquainted with Dylan and Phil Oaks and Buffy St. Marie and, like, Jimi Hendrix and Jefferson Airplane. And I am not entirely certain when you get onto a bus to just go on a protest and somebody says, let's sing some protest songs, what the fuck you're supposed to sing. But I digress from the show at hand which has much else to recommend it. For example, it's got funky-ass songs and uh, at occasions the exact kinds of overly funky songs that are about things that you maybe don't then want to be singing around your neighbor. If you ask me to dinner, you're going to feed it. melon, omni-grinson, bread. And certainly don't want your nine-year-old singing around their peer group. So I was spending a day or two binging trailers from Hell Trailers on YouTube because, like everyone else, many of my days in quarantine have been spent less practically than I might have you know, suggested, or that I might have imagined at the beginning. But perhaps steps in the right direction are happening as well. Not everything needs to happen on the schedule that you imagine. That is part of what I'm learning in life. It's taken me a long time. In one of the videos, Josh Olson, who's the screenwriter of History of Violence and the 
host slash co-host of Movies That Made Me, the Trailers From Hell podcast, which I also spent some of my days listening to in quarantine here. Thank you very much. He does the commentary for the trailer for the movie Hair. Which I found compelling. I thought, okay. Admittedly, he comes from it from the opposite perspective. He thought it seemed like an unlikely possibility, a 70s movie made from the quintessentially 60s musical. He's not a fan of musicals. I love me some musicals. But he and I, on subjects that don't relate to musicals, have enough common ground that I thought, okay, I really need to, you know, check this movie out again. It, it wasn't the first time that I've thought that in recent years, but it was a strong enough reminder that I actually did go back and I watched it. And I am torn. First of all, for the most part, the screenwriting of it is pretty sharp. They mostly do things that are good ways of taking the material that's there and turning it into a story. Unfortunately, the story they pick affects the impact of some of the songs or their meaning. In some cases, this is somewhat repaired. They use easy to be hard, in part, I believe, because they're trying to build up the character of HUD, who is the African-American character. Unfortunately, the way that they do it might be racially awkward now. It's rather, although it's a very sweet song, the circumstances are sort of less consequential in the play. It, it, there's just a an issue with a shirt that one of the characters gives to Berger, one of the leads, and he's disrespectful of the gift, and she sings Easy to be Hard. In the movie, they have Hud's ex and his son appear, which is interesting, but it sort of comes out of nowhere in the story, and because it's sort of a last minute, like, we're trying to build up the African-American character, well, building up the African-American character by having him be the one who abandon his kid and not fully exploring that might play in a way that I'm not entirely thrilled with, at least in 2020. It feels like a difficult way to build up that character. And unfortunately, aside from that lovely song, it really doesn't pay off in any further buildup than that. On the other end of that, the story of the play involves Claude, who's one of the hippies, being drafted. To the extent that there's a story to it, it centers around that. In this, they make him not a hippie. He's a guy who's in New York for a couple of days before he is inducted into the army after being drafted, which puts a lot of very specific constraints on the way the story is handled, including the time frame, which I think is more crunched than it needs to be, or at least more specific than it needs to be. If I were to rewrite it, that would be one of the factors I would change in there. I think the building of relationships within the context of being there for a week or something would be stronger than over the course of two days. And you wouldn't have to do that much different, just some implicit things happening in between. Some connective tissue allowing that we can believe that things happened 
in which characters developed relationships that weren't there before. But one of the things that is a continuing source of joy for me in discovery and realization is how much of Hair, the original musical, is about questioning everything. It's about questioning obviously authority and all of the things, the Vietnam War, all the things that you expect from the hippie musical. But it's also really about questioning the hippie movement and everything about it. Easy to be hard, Going Back, is a song about why it is it's easy for people who believe in these big causes and saving the world, how it is that it's so easy for them to still be total dicks to people right there in front of them. I think one could go on an entire segment on <laughs> the question of whether or not it's more interesting if it's if it is something trivial that he's a dick about or if it's something important. The two cases of the original play versus the movie w- without the even the adding the weight of the racial issues that it brings into it accidentally. But there are so many times by having Manchester, England which is this fantasy song about Claude being from Manchester and he's sort of telling this lie about where he's from, taken away from the roots of him being this hippie who's singing the song for himself and being a song that Berger starts making up for him and that he follows along really changes that, although it in that respect it does build the he's catching on and becoming part of that community. But it also means that one of the best parts of it are cut completely. So it starts off explaining that he's from Manchester, he loves to go to movies, he's just telling this story about himself, this very sort of celebratory, groovy story about who he is. And in the last verse of it, he says, now that I've dropped out, why is life dreary, dreary, answer my weary query? Timothy Leary Deary. Sounds cooler when he sings it. Now that I've dropped out, why is life dreary, dreary? Answer my weary query. Timothy Leary Deary. But he's really exploring the idea of why it is things have not gotten better for him since dropping out. In the movie, of course, this lyric gets left out entirely because it's irrelevant to the character who would be singing it. Perhaps you could have come up with something that would have tossed that off to somebody else, one of the other people, but I suspect it would have been an extra challenge when they were already crunching story, trying to come up with an excuse for one of the other people to be singing in the middle of that song to get that in. Another example, and this isn't perhaps the best example, but it's a more easily recognizable example, I'd imagine, to the average person, which is simply that in the title song, which is one of those songs that's mostly just this fun song, you've probably heard it by, if not from the original musical, perhaps the hit Cowsills version of it. Uh, who you may know from 
the rain, the park, and other things, which you probably think of as the flower girl. Flowers in her head. Flowers everywhere. Castle's hit version of hair doesn't include the verse that I'm concerned about. But towards the end, it says, My hair like Jesus wore it. Hallelujah, I adore it. Hallelujah, Mary loved her son. Why don't my mother love me? Hair, hair, hair. My hair like Jesus wore it. Hallelujah, I adore it. Hallelujah, Mary loved her son. Why don't my mother love me? It's also kind of important. It's not just thrown away. I can see why the cow sills didn't want to deal with it. It's also right after they'll be gaga at the go-go. Which might have all been a little too much. If you don't know, the cow sills were a family band. I mean, specifically, they were the cow sills because they were all... Because that was their name. They were originally offered the sitcom that would become the Partridge family when they turned it down. So that was sort of their shtick. So... They could sing this sort of hippiness about having long hair at a time when people were starting to grow longer hair, even people who were fairly conservative. You can sort of watch pop culture through that time. In 1964, if a character on a TV show, a young kid had a beetle-length hair, that would have been a source of mockery and joking on the show some degree of derision but by 1968 people men had long hair and we were starting to come closer to the time when more conservative middle of the road figures would start to have what we would think of as beetle length hair that 64 beetle and just in a fairly short window there by 72 it would be almost impossible to find guys who don't have guys with super short hair who don't have sideburns and a little shag in the back of their hair so with the cow sills doing their hit version of hair in 69 it was reasonably safe to sing merely about the length of your hair in a fairly silly format for an act such as them it perhaps was better to leave out the subject of go-go's and the bible and parental disapproval. But I offer you the line, the why don't my mother love me, from both versions. The first one is much more Broadway in terms of how it delivers it than I would have done, certainly for a movie. I would have definitely toned it down, but I would have toned it down in a way that plays the emotion of the line. While the actual movie version that Treat Williams sings skips over it as if the line has no particular importance whatsoever. My hair like Jesus wore it, hallelujah, I adore it, hallelujah, Mary loved the son, why don't my mother love me? Which isn't to say that I don't like the movie. The, uh, the twist that I mentioned, and I am the kind of person who ordinarily doesn't mention twists. I do not believe that you do anyone any favors ever saying, oh, I won't tell you the twist, but there's this big fucking twist in this movie. You, have, sir, have just ruined the movie. It's always sir. I will explain that to you. 
why saying, oh, there's this amazing twist, because then you're thinking about the amazing twist. And in fact, best twist will come from, will come from something you're not even spending your time thinking about. Whereas if somebody says there's this amazing twist, you're likely to figure out what the thing is and spend however much, either figure it out right away or spend the rest of the time just thinking about it rather than being absorbed by the movie. Also, there are twists, and I'm looking at you, usual suspects, that the only answer that anyone would come back and say, oh my god, there's this amazing twist, is the one that's the answer. Nothing else. You can conclude it without any evidence from the movie, simply on the fact that no other answer would be surprising and compelling in a manner that you would come back to your friends and go, oh my god, you won't believe it, dude. This happens. This happens in mystery novels, too. Oftentimes you can solve the mystery by who would be the most interesting subject. Well, it can't be him. We all think it's him. It can't be those other people. They would be too boring to be the answer. It must be him. That would be interesting. The key is, of course, to have an interesting enough story that people are compelled by the rest of it anyway. But if the raison d'etre of the entire piece has been presented to you as here is this amazing puzzle box, once you've solved the puzzle box, it's a challenge to realize where else you should be in where that where you're in should have been you may very well have in my case say already have missed the point where you should have been hooked in because you were thinking about something else however i don't believe that the twist in hair is of that sort you should not be thinking about the fact that i said that there was a twist it's not that clever that's the reason that aside from me pointing this out it's not mentioned in that way. It's not on the list of great twists. And ultimately, a lot of the, the really important songs, like 3500 and the flesh failures that are really about the, the horrors of war and stuff, are, are done in ways that are really moving in this, in the movie, uh, along with how good it can be at the beginning at showing the sort of anarchic, fun energy of hippies in the park so it's a solid movie but it doesn't match up to my needs and my needs are fairly specific as a guy who can't remember not loving that album and not being obsessed with how the story comes together to fit all of these wonderful songs so it was likely an impossible or near impossible task so I am wrapping up doing this for the first time. Not technically the first time. I did a podcast years and years ago when it was first a thing that people said, hey, people are podcasting. That was the word they were using, right? And the idea was a group of people, a very small group of people, wanted to hear me do this and give it a try. I wanted to play music. And we were in the early enough days that you could sort of just throw up an MP3 in which you just put on a bunch of songs. 
and there wasn't anybody to really care or know exactly what the legal meaning of any of that was. But this is the first time I've seriously tried to just do this, despite having considered it on a variety of occasions previously, but fell short on the idea of what should it be? Should I do something about a concept, or should I find a magnificent co-host to do something with me? And I've considered all of that a lot. I have never really centered on a co-host or concept that seemed like I would do well doing it on a regular basis. But today, of course, I did this. I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm a guy who's doing a podcast and I don't want to do a bunch of fucking movie reviews. And then I did what largely amounts to a fucking movie review. So I think I'm off to a brilliant start. I am swearing. I like swearing. I had a boss at that job that I left at the beginning of the year, right before the pandemic. He was a good guy. I liked him. He has a podcast called The Beverage Minute. You can find wherever you listen to podcasts or at thebeverageminute.com. We're not super great buddies or anything, so I'm not just shilling for him. I find it amusing. It's a cute podcast. He had been pondering the idea of whether or not he should use vulgar length. I said when I had done a podcast, I had purposely used vulgar language early and often so that no one would ever go, Hey, my kid listens to your podcast. And now you're all up in the saying the naughtiness and whatever and the whatnots and the who wears. He found himself researching it further and finding that there were outlets that would not carry it. It would get an explicit warning on some outlets and they would not move over to some outlets or some perhaps countries. Now, I realized it wasn't a podcast. It wasn't my previous podcast from, say, 12... 15 years ago that I swore it was when I was trying to do a series of videos on YouTube and I swore early and often and said oh I'm going to go ahead and be explicit and not potentially get advertising revenue from YouTube for my videos because that's just who I am probably do most things I could have done tonight without putting any bad words in there. But what happens on the night when I can't? Eventually there's something I want to say that absolutely demands for me that I say, fuck. And in that, I want to be honest with that part of myself that needs to say that. So I'm saying it now, so I'm just a guy who says fuck on his podcast. And you can just go away. If you're thinking, hey, I don't like podcasts where the guy says, fuck, I should listen to somebody other than Neil. And that's fair. Go. Be free. Be whatever you are. Do whatever you want to do. Just so long as you don't hurt anybody. So I'm going to wrap this up. I think I've covered something that seems like something. I think I can say, hey, I did a podcast and it was a thing. So I will say goodnight. Perhaps, if I'd thought this through better, I'd have a sign-off. I'd have a thing that I said. I liked doing the YouTube videos, filming them. 
I found that as soon as I had something more complicated to say that I couldn't make myself say in one swoop, that it involved editing. And while I enjoy parts of the editing process, I'm significantly less happy doing it when it's me. I ended up making a video about my relationship with Kevin Smith as a fan. And I might come back to that on another episode. And I shot it all around the places that I had seen Kevin Smith movies. It was really Clerks and Chasing Amy. I realized that I live blocks from the places that I saw those two movies. And it had a lot of takes and a lot of different things. And I went to go edit it. And I hated watching myself that long and having to wade through clips and pieces and the way I move my body and stuff. This is all self-conscious stuff, and perhaps, in a perfect world, I would just have a video series and somebody else with fewer issues with me and my quirks than I am could edit it and make something interesting of it. But today is not that day. I am in quarantine, sitting by myself. I don't have another editor. I can do the sound editing on this easily enough to not torture myself. Perhaps in days ahead, I will think of a sign-off for you all. And this will be the awkward episode where I just say, Bye from Rise of the Flying Guillotine. <laughs> Catch you next time.